Ah, hello everyone. It is a milestone here at Tech Move. It is episode 10. 10 is the magic number for us, and we want to welcome all of you. In today's exciting episode, we're going to talk to Keith about his camcorder and backup disasters. Uh, we're going to talk about GPU maintenance, CUDA, and breakout boxes. And we're going to touch on Premiere Pro CC, their bug and new feature updates. We got that and a whole ton more here on episode 10 of Tech Move. I am Rod Louie, and with me is my partner, who I couldn't do this thing without, and that is the great Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you? Thank you very much, Rod. I'm doing very well. Well, first of all, before we continue, I want to just say uh, ha- congratulations and happy 10th episode of Tech Move. I know. We made it to 10. We made it to 10. I mean, like, you know, what's amazing is that, you know, a lot of people do uh, podcasts weekly and stuff like that. It took us, like, what, the better part of a year to get 10 done. I think we've actually been producing podcasts for over a year. Right. (laughs) So at this rate, we're going to be at our 20th episode sometime in 2014. Uh, I like to think of it like the networks just ordering, you know, 12 to 15, 16 shows a a, a year, a season, just to get a feel for things. And that's pretty much how we are right now. Yeah. And each episode does take about as much work as a network hour of TV. So this is true. I mean, this is true. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners know that if you were to download one of our episodes, you're probably listening to it over a week's time anyway, huh? You know, we do pack a lot into each episode. So Action-packed <laughs> is what they call it. Action-packed. Action-packed. We're going right. to try to get it, start getting them out a little bit more regularly. But anyway, it's a, I'm pretty proud of the fact that we actually made it to 10. Um, and we'll just keep going. I'm 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 very pleased. I'm very I'm very pleased. I mean, as as uh, difficult as it was initially to kind of start the uh, uh, the process, uh, I think we've kind of got it down to a nice little science here, and uh, we're, I think we're just having a, a really great time. So, uh, thanks to you, Keith, for putting it all together, and uh, thanks to our listeners who uh, who listen to us. And hey. By the way, speaking about how to listen to us, uh, we got a couple ways that you can contact us. Uh, always, uh, our first and foremost is our website, which is www.techmovepodcast.com. You can subscribe to us also on iTunes. Just search for us called Tech Move. You can find us on Facebook at Tech Move Podcast. And we also have a Twitter address where it's at Tech Move Podcast. And then, of course, Keith's favorite, we can listen to us on Stitcher, right? Stitcher is the uh, is a way to listen to us. Yeah, I think the best way to listen on Stitcher is probably through your mobile device, and it works really well on that. Just download the Stitcher app if you haven't. Just go to stitcher.com and download it or, or do a search on the iTunes store for Stitcher and then download it and then do a search for TechMove. That is it's, super awesome. Yeah. It works Pretty really, easy. yeah. It works really well. Oh, and uh, folks, if you can uh, support the podcast, uh, Keith is going to share with you how to do that. Keith, uh, how can the good folks out there in podcast land support our endeavors? 
I think the easiest way to support us is just go to this URL with a web browser. Go to techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. Um, once you do that, you'll actually be redirected to the Amazon website. And then during that session, whatever you buy, we get a commission on that. And it actually has some significance to us. And it really doesn't cost you anything if you buy stuff on Amazon anyway. So just go ahead and do that. And we really appreciate it. We really do. And uh, especially when I'm rolling up in my Rolls Royce because of everyone buying stuff through Amazon, through our uh, website, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think of about 300 people bought a Rolls Royce, we would actually be able to get a Rolls Royce. So (laughs) go for it. I'm I'm sure that that's what it what the breakdown is. (laughs) <laughs> so oh, um, we're waiting for that right fantastic so uh ladies and gentlemen that's the way you can contact us you can get in touch with us there and uh and we thank you so much for subscribing and listening so keith look a lot of things have been going on we've you know as i touched on at the very start of the show we've got a lot of things to cover in episode 10 and we've got a lot of things like uh you, you know we've we've got uh things to talk about like uh, what's happening with Premiere Pro CC? I know you've heard a, a, a couple of things there. Oh, yeah. I actually, well, in episode nine, I think it was episode nine, uh, or a recent episode, we actually, I actually talked about um, getting Premiere Pro CC along with the whole, uh, the rest of the Creative Cloud suite, and uh, which just came out recently, came out in June. And uh, I, I liked it a lot. It was really fast. Premiere Pro seems to be a lot faster than it used to be on the Mac and, and pretty usable. And uh, But there was just one big bug that I talked a lot about, which was this multicam uh, function in Premiere Pro didn't seem to work too well. And, so, and how did it not work so well? Did it crash on you? What, what, what happened? Um, the symptom was basically you could do a whole bunch of edits, and then once you saved it, it kind of rearranged the edits. So it, it was really bad because people thought they were actually finishing a lot of work and then they'd reopen the project and everything was messed up. Right. So a lot of people were really hot about that. And, and Premiere was pretty good about trying to alleviate the issue um, by, well, mitigate the issue by having their reps go in the forums and talking about it. And and it's kind of, Adobe's pretty cool in that way because there actually is some communication from the Adobe tech support and other product managers to the public, which is pretty unusual in a way in a software company. Usually they're pretty tight-lipped, you know, especially with such a big company like that. Oh, yeah. Like, for example, with Apple, Apple never does it. Like, you'll go to the forums and Apple people hardly ever post anything. Right. Um, I think they're forbidden or something like that or legally bound to not say anything. Yeah, I think it has to be a pretty, pretty darn big issue. And then usually it's just like a letter from the from the CEO, like from Tim Cook or something. Right. Um, to like the public, like we screwed up or something that happens, you know, once every 10 years. Right. Um, or at least it's admitted once every 10 years. By <laughs> That's <Apple>. right. That's <laughs> right. Anyway, so Adobe's been pretty good about that. And I really applaud them for at least being a little bit more upfront about their issues. Anyway, they said they would come out with an update, um, after the July 4th weekend and the next week they actually did come out with an update and I immediately downloaded it, started using it for this huge project I was working on with like 20 hours of, of multicam and um, and it actually worked really well. I was really happy with how fast it was and how um, how how clean it worked. And so they fixed that problem. In my opinion, they they did a good job at fixing that problem. So I just wanted to kind of give them credit for that. 
So not only so not only did were they true to their word about bringing out a patch, but also the patch actually worked. Correct. Wow. Yeah, and it didn't seem to introduce any other bugs or lack of performance or bad things. So it's just positive things. That is great. That is yeah. something. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Adobe. Yeah, I just wanted to update that one, and uh, and then I just want to talk a little bit about um, the rest of this episode. And how this is kind of the the special disaster episode, but we threw in a couple other little things in the middle to to break it up a bit, so it wasn't wasn't all about Keith's disasters. <laughs> so, <laughs> which seemed to be quite frequent, actually. But <laughs> nonetheless, I, yeah, I don't think you can do you know work without a disaster once in a while. Right. But hopefully, you can recover, and it's not that big of a deal. And uh, you know, we'll see how it turns out when right. you listen to these segments. So one of the segments about the camcorder disaster, we actually recorded a long time ago, almost in the early days of TechMove. And, uh, but we just didn't have a chance to put that segment in. It was fairly long, and, and we just had so many other segments to put in. So Like so the other one... segments aren't long at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of material. We do. In, in archives. <laughs> right. But... Uh, <laughs> So this one we actually recorded in 2012, so you'll hear some references when I talk about when this happened in 2012. So don't be confused. We know that 2012 was last year, like seven months ago, eight months ago. But <laughs> And then when you're listening to this in about three or four months, that will be old too. So it doesn't <laughs> right. matter. It's, well, everything is timeless here with TechMove. Everything is timeless. Right. And there's that. And then there's another, a little bit more recent disaster segment about backup disaster. And then we'll, we'll update that at the end, end of this whole, this whole episode. Um, because, uh, well, you mean a, like a wrap up? We'll wrap it up because nice. that particular segment we recorded a few weeks ago and it wasn't completely conclusive that everything was okay. So we'll wrap it up and I'll let you know what happened. Well, that's exciting. I'm, I, I'm, I'm finally glad to hear that one of your disasters, there's actually some sort of ending to it, because usually these seem to be ongoing. So, well, that's fantastic. Good. Uh, okay, folks, go get a drink of water, strap in. It's going to be a bumpy ride. We'll be right back with more here on Tech Move. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at it again. Yes, you heard it right. We have a brand new episode of Tech Move, and we are in the house. It is Rod Louie here, along with my esteemed partner in crime, Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you? I am very good. Thank you, Rod. That is excellent. Remember, Tech Move is the podcast all about digital filmmaking, gear, Mac computers, and iOS devices from a unique perspective. That is Tech Move. And we want to thank you again for joining us for this brand new episode that we have here in store for you. We've got a lot of neat things to talk about, but before I give you the rundown of what's going on, something that has just been plaguing us, and that is something that occurred with Keith Moreau over this past weekend with regards to a shoot. And before I forget all that stuff, I do want to ask Keith what happened, because it, it sounds kind of humorous as to, to, to what had happened, uh, although humorous to me, maybe not to Keith. <laughs> yeah, um, Rodney just asked me how it was going, and I said, yeah, it was fine. I, well, it was crazy, a crazy weekend. I was I was 
videotaping this conference, video recording this conference. There was no tape involved. And uh, <laughs> what, you, you mean you mean your eight millimeter cassette tapes weren't uh, being employed uh, this particular go around? No, I've retired the eight millimeter as well as the the mini VHS decks. Quite <laughs> the some VHS time ago. C's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever those were called, right? Well, what happened? Got, what happened? Um, oh, so so I do. So one of the things I do, and this is, people think I'm crazy, but I use like. I use like many, many, many video cameras when I'm shooting. And a lot of it, it's not necessarily, you know, to do this fantastic job or to, you know, create more work for myself. It's actually to reduce the amount of work that I do, especially when I'm, I'm editing the project as well. When you have multiple camcorders, you can actually, you know, not every shot's perfect, especially when people are moving around and if, or somebody might mess up or somebody might say something that you don't want to include. Well, you can cut to another angle and you can uh, cut out the bad the bad camera move or the bad speaking, and and it works really well. Uh, it also just breaks things up. It just makes things more professional to have different angles going of the same action. Right. And and in the past, this used to be a horrible task. You'd have to have the you'd have to have cables between the cameras and and have them sync together with time code and have them all start at the same time. And then later, you'd have to match all the time code up and. And uh, it was actually, it really increased the production time when you were actually on site because you had to have multiple people. It was, it would be really hard to do it yourself. Uh, and then in the post-production time to actually sync all the stuff up in, in a multi-camera uh, edit. So now nowadays, at least for me, uh, you don't need to use that quite as much, um, mostly because of this product called Pluralize. I have heard of that. Yeah, Pluralize is a awesome software. Um, it... it was developed by this guy named Bruce Sharp, um, who actually uh, developed this other product called Levelator, which we also use in our podcast, and I, I use it a lot for audio. And he's this audio, he's like a rocket scientist. He's a really smart guy, and he's just really into audio and uh, figured out ways to analyze audio. And uh, so one of the products he has, it analyzes the audio and all the, all the different camcorder tracks, and it finds the similarities between the audio. You know, like if somebody's talking or there's music in the background and it analyzes them and it actually matches up all the all the tracks and moves them around so that they're all in line in the sequence. So they're all synced. So you don't need to genlock them or have any kind of syncing when you're actually shooting. You just need to have fairly clear audio on all the cameras that's common. And uh, so I just I use that. And, and it's not perfect. It, it can take a little bit of I, I've, I've used it so much that I know the tricks to make it work well, but somebody coming in cold using six cameras and doing this would probably tear their hair out and just throw their computer out the window. Quite a learning curve then. It's, it's just, it's just not perfect. Yeah. Well, what I usually do is I just try to sync them all at once. And then sometimes one camera is not syncing. So then I just isolate that camera and I just sync that with something else that's really constant. So like what, like, for example, one of the things I do a lot is I have a also audio recorders going all at once too. Like I have audio recorders on a person, you know, like on a lav mic with a small audio recorder instead of like a wireless system because the recording quality is much better and more reliable in that in that mode. Wireless, especially in San Francisco, is horrible. It's it's always dropping out and and you always wind up having terrible audio in certain at certain times unless you really fine tune it and you're you're very in tune with the people running the PA, which never happens unless you have a lot of extra time. So uh, so I have audio recorders and then I have a recorder at the PA feed so I can get a direct feed from the PA. 
and then actually have a wireless that's that's a split off that PA and have that wireless going to my camera. So at least I know that my recorder is recording something because it's always possible that somebody could pull the plug out or turn down a knob on their mixer or totally screw up my, my recording, which happens all the time. So I have to run over there and correct it. That actually happened in this particular thing. So this was a conference that was in San Francisco. Let me ask one thing real quick. So sure. are you saying that the recording, the, the video that you take, you're hardly ever, if at all, using the audio off the camera? You're using separate audio uh, essential uh, channels? Uh, you, if I can, if I can do it, I, I will, I will, um, record audio on the built-in mic on the camera or an external mic. Uh, and then sometimes I'll have a feed, like a wireless feed into channel two, uh, if I can help it. Like if it's a situation where I, I, I know I can put audio recorders with different audio sources, you know, like people talking or the PA or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it, if I can help it, I don't use the audio on the camera because usually the audio on the camera is not going to be as good as uh, a mic that's really close up to the source. Mm -hmm. Even uh, with my fantastic Rode Video Mic Pro, you won't trust that? You know, that's a really fine mic, Rodney, yeah. especially if you actually can mount it up and down instead of sideways. <laughs> like I have done before. So it's, so it's not like knocking against I the I will camera. have you know, I did I did switch it back. So it's everything's good. It's just about uh, like five feet off of the hot shoe of the camera. That's yeah, all. It, it does stick up a lot. It does. It? it does. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you, well, you, but you prefer <laughs> these, these kind of off board uh, audio devices rather than the in camera stuff. Yeah, the on-camera stuff is just last resort sound. Mm -hmm. If you're, it, it can work if you're really close to the source. Like if you're doing an interview and the mic is only three feet away from somebody and using a really directional mic, uh, it 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 works fine because it's it's gonna record usually record really good audio. But that's very rare, unless and that's unless you're just doing inter like on man on the street interviews and you're really cl close to them. So uh, and also even if you have really good shock mounting on the camera, there's always potential camera noise and things jostling and the, the mic on the camera getting hit and so there's always a lot of bad things that can happen to the on on camera mic. If that's all you have and you need to go in there and just record something quick, then you have to do it. But if you have a little time to plan, then I I suggest spreading the recorders around and using multiple recorders, putting you know separate recorders on each person. Um, but you know, but I do have a pretty good wireless system. Uh, it's, a, it's a Sennheiser uh, evolution system, and it works pretty well. It's pretty small, but still, you know, sometimes you get interference, and you don't have time to change the channels because you're, you know, across the room from from the person or the sound source. In this particular shoot, I actually had five cameras going. Wow. And, yeah, and then I had uh, five cameras plus an audio recorder, and then I had um, wireless going from the PA to my main camera. Uh, that has XLR inputs. And a lot of times, depending on the destination, I don't have to use the best uh, camcorders. I don't have to use the the pro, you know, really high-end expensive big cameras that I have. Mm -hmm. um, I can use the more, I have a lot of consumer, prosumer level camcorders. So I have uh, a couple of Panasonic, uh, pretty high-end uh, consumer camcorders. One the latest one that I have, the the the, early, the newest one that I have is the TM nine hundred, and and its uh, predecessor is the TM seven hundred, and they're both excellent excellent camcorders for what they do. And did the, you say those are uh, Panasonic's or? Yep, 
Yeah, uh-huh. they're Panasonic's. They're about a little bit smaller than a Coke can. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty light, very durable. I know because I've dropped them and abused them a lot. Uh, they tend to, you know, fall out of bags and <laughs> or I give them to people and they, you know, drop them or something or right. hit them against a tree or right. <laughs> something. Well, so, the, the people you're lending this equipment to is <laughs> quite quite fine with it. That's good. Yeah. So I'm not over, you know, they have scratches and they're not, they're not in new shape by any means, but they've held up really well. One of them, the TM700, I actually it fell once and it dropped right on the lens right on the front ring and so the ring doesn't really turn that well mm. it's the it's the kind of all-purpose ring that those cameras have for for focusing and adjusting you can kind of switch what it does and it's really tight so you can't really use it for focusing and really anything so but that's okay i don't i hardly ever use that function anyway so that's kind of my 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 least that's the ca- that's like the the most throwaway camera that i have right now that i use so that was the camera that I put on this uh, really big tripod that I have. It's a really large tripod. I don't re- remember the name, but it can go, it can go up to just just when you put the leg, extend the legs all the way up, it goes to about six feet, and then it has this center column that goes up like another four feet, so it can get really high. Um, and I was gonna, and I used that cam that particular setup, and I put the TM seven hundred, the kind of throwaway camera on top of that, and I put that put this on a table in the corner of the room facing the whole room so I can get the crowd and the stage and cut to that. And it's nice to cut to like this big thing, especially when people are clapping or right. it's good to cut to this wide view. So that was my wide, wide view of the whole place. And, uh, so the first time I put it up and it was great and it worked well and I took it down and, you know, I, I, I didn't have it on all the time, but I would, I would turn it on during the main, like for two hours at a time. And those are great too, because you can put, as much card as you can buy into these things, SDHC cards. And uh, so they can go on forever. Plus it has internal memory, a 32 gigabyte internal memory. So you could put like another 32 gig card in there and you could be recording for hours on it. You you could just set it and forget it and it could just be recording. Yeah, just, pretty cool. just leave it and let it go, right? Yeah, which is pretty much what I did. Mm-hmm. So, and that was my downfall. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. Because you so, did forget it or? <laughs> well, I didn't forget it. I knew it was there. So the first day was fine. The second day I was even smarter. I actually set it up earlier. So it was capturing the whole thing. And then I just decided to take a break because uh, I was only recording a two hour segment and there was about a two hour break and then an, another two hour segment. So uh, there was a, a quite a bit of time where I didn't really have anything to do. And I was really tired from the day before because the day before was a long day. And, and, and the thing about the modern age of, uh, of of these memory cards, flash cards that you record on, is that you have to offload them. <laughs> uh, I, I guess if 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 you're getting near capacity, and especially if you've been running them for a long time, yeah. So you have to offload, and these these were all. I had five cameras, and they had between thirty two and sixty four gigabytes filled on them for wow. this, for one day. Wow. So Friday night, I had to offload them. So when I got home, and I got home really late because I went out, and then I got home late, and um, and the, and the thing that's kind of cool is I have this system for actually offloading the cards and actually verifying that the offload actually happened. It's a really, really cool software that I use called Chronosync. And have you heard of it? No, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it's actually very, very, very excellent, although a little technical backup software. 
it'll it'll basically take any source that you give it and you can take you can create these templates so that you can always use the same template like it's always going to read this particular de directory from this card and it's always going to put it into this other directory on your hard drive and uh and also it'll read it back it'll compare what was on the card with what it copied so in case there was any kind of error during the copying process it'll catch that it's very rare that it happens, but it actually has caught it on occasion, especially when I have a card that's marginal. So it's really good software, and I'll, we'll have a link to it in the in the show. I, I got to ask you this, you know, and, and maybe it's only because I use, you know, one SD card at a time, you know, whenever I shoot stuff. But um, what is it when you have, like, you know, all your five, and you're trying to verify you know, whether or not it has stuff on it. I mean, aren't you just going to know that when you open it up or is that just a step you're eliminating uh, at the start? I have um, multiple SDHC readers, but they're all plugged into my one computer through okay. hubs and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I take all the cards and I have them all plugged in. And sometimes the cards, because of the way the cameras are, they might need name the cards the same name. So it's a little confusing. So so if I know, and I know which card, which, for example, the Panasonic's, all the, they name all the cards the same. And since I have two Panasonic's in this situation, what I do is when one of the cards, I just give it a more unique name. Like instead of just SD card, uh, I put SD 900. Oh, okay. I, I rename the card after I put it in. That way it, I differentiate it from the other one that I put in. Right, it's just a, a, a file differentiator for you. Yeah, in this case it's... Um, it's actually the name of the flash drive, okay. the, the the basic name. You know when you put your your SDHC card and it mounts on your de on your Correct. desktop, right? Um, you can actually change the name of that, just right. like you can change any any drive name. So on a Mac, and uh, so that's what I do in the case where the names aren't unique. And then I set up the thing where it points to the right directory, and I use a very uh, tried and true naming system that I came up with to to um, very easily find stuff according to date and uh, a lot of people you know they use this kind of english way of 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 dating something like they put the month first then the yep. day and then the year yep but that's a horrible way to find stuff thank and, you and so I, I i do that all the time <laughs> <laughs> but you know when you go if you have a have a directory full of folders with that naming that date naming right. convention right all the all the septembers from all the different years will show up in the nines because it's 09, right? Yeah, that's true. So so if you're trying to actually get it to sort by date, the actual creation date or the date of the event, it's bad for that. Yeah, it so can you want to get a little bit messy and stuff. Yeah. So I would recommend this if you if you want to change and make it more efficient is to put the year first. So 2012 in right. case of this year. And then I put a a dash cuz some characters are not are not legal for for uh, like slashes are not not the greatest thing to put in file names. I always so have put, to do underscore or something like that. Yeah, underscore dash works, and then uh, and then the month, you know, like and then a d double digits on that, like oh nine or and then when you get to ten, it's one zero. And the reason for that is that's another sorting thing. If you just put a nine in there, then the one will actually pop up before the nine. Uh, like December would pop up before September. Right. Like twelve would pop up before nine. So, yes. But if you put in a zero nine in front of it, it'll um, it'll be before twelve. Yeah, I, and then I do do that. I do you know I always do is you know if it's like the like first of January January I'll always do like a zero one zero one. 
Yeah, that's good. But I would just recommend put the year as the first thing. And that's actually how we do the pod, podcast naming. Have, have you noticed that? Yep, I sure have. So, yeah, and that helps when we're, for me. It helps when I'm sorting all the different podcast stuff. And I, I came up with a scheme quite a many years ago because I used to name it the other way. In fact, I used to name things by like tape number. Like I would just put the tape number in there and I wouldn't put the date. Oh, right. And that's just, that was just the worst way to name things. And now with cards and stuff, there's no concept really of a tape number because you're reusing the cards. Yeah. So, so that wouldn't make sense. So when cards came out, I re kind of changed the, the way I named uh, the directories that I store stuff. Anyway, this is getting a little off topic, but it might be interesting to some people. So I was really tired that from from setting what I did was I spent like an hour and a half and it was about about 12 30 p.m at that point uh well no it was actually 12 30 a.m the next day at that point and I spent about an hour and a half setting up this backup to offload all my cards that I shot during the day and that takes a few hours to actually copy all the data and then also verify it but I can do it overnight while I'm sleeping that's usually what I do right so I was actually pretty tired the next day <laughs> I wasn't quite as alert as I usually am. <laughs> anyway, so I set, I did the same setup, and I thought I was being really smart, and everything else worked really well. I The first day was almost like I was learning how, how this room was going to work and how the sound system worked and how the different performances and, and presentations would work. And so the second day, it was a lot smoother. It was a lot less crazy. Uh, and one of the things I did was I, I did this tripod thing on this table that was in the corner. And it was the table that was near the windows, uh, it didn't really make that much of a difference, but it was on the same table as the, as some of the food, like the drinks and, and coffee and stuff like that. I hear um, a recipe for disaster <laughs> coming. It That sounds like it, but yeah. it actually was not the reason for my camcorder's demise. Um, <laughs> well, we'll be the judge of that. Go on. <laughs> So I put it on this table, had it set up there, and it was great. I actually had it, I had recorded the first session on the internal memory of the camcorder. Because I was going to, I didn't want to have to worry about changing cards. The way these camcorders are set up with their recording is that has a thing called relay recording. And it records on the first, on the internal memory first. When it fills up the internal memory, then it actually just immediately starts recording on the card without a gap or anything. It just makes a continuous file. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you can get, you know, five hours straight of continuous recording, first on the internal memory and then on the card. That's another thing that I probably won't do anymore, and I'll tell you why. Because if something happens to the camera where it doesn't even turn on, then that internal memory is, is pretty much gone. It's not like there's some chip that you can pull out and copy off. It's like part of the motherboard inside the camera. So nice. <laughs> this is a, another lesson. Nice. This is a, this is a very... See... Every disaster is actually a very good learning experience. Don't you agree? <laughs> oh, yeah, ab absolutely. It's just too bad that when those disasters hit, it's usually for something really super important. It never happens when you're just trying something just for the heck of it. It's always for something like you needed something. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, luckily, I did choose the the most disposable camera for the most dangerous location. So I did make a good choice there. I didn't put my $5,000 camera up there. I guess, I, that, my... I guess that is a good thing that you did do that. <laughs> yeah. That is I have in the past done things like that, but this time I didn't. <laughs> right. So, that's, and that's, I prob... that's a good thing. Yeah. 
And if I had put a really expensive camera up there, I probably would have secured it really well and maybe even put like a wire, like a safety wire on it or something like that. But right. I just I just put it up and thought it would be fine. So I did notice that uh, the occasionally the, the staff that were in charge of Fort Mason would occasionally open the windows to air it out a little bit. And there were these huge shades that they would bring down and up on the windows because it gets kind of bright in there and they were doing slides. So they need to darken the room a bit for certain things, which also has made it really horrible to video record because it's really dark. But, <laughs> but, uh, but the, these shades, when the, when the wind picked up and blew through the windows that they had just opened, these shades had a tendency to push out. And my tripod was actually uh, kind of up against that. But it, the shades weren't really blowing out that much, maybe like a foot. And my tripod, it was, it was definitely not hitting my tripod okay. uh, at that point. It was close. It was like six inches away from the base of the tripod. But... You know, I figured the tripod's pretty sturdy, and it'll probably just hold hold the uh, the force of the wind back. Right. That was a, that was a, that was another fatal mistake on my part. I should have realized <laughs> that gigantic ships are powered by sails, <laughs> and they can pretty much propel anything. Right, and human beings can be slowed down by big parachutes. Of that <laughs> yes, same type of thing and falling out of the sky. Yes, all these things should. I mean, when I looked up and said, "Oh, that's blowing out," it could hit my tripod. That next step of saying maybe I should move the tripod did not occur. <laughs> maybe because I was tired. So that's I went. Good. Yeah, I went to. Uh, so I took a little break. I left the tripod there, even though the camera wasn't even on. It was actually turned off at that point. Uh, I left the room and I went to my car, which was just outside, and I just did some other stuff, check my email, email. And and I was only out there about half an hour. And then I came back in and I noticed the tripod that should have been on the table was actually set up nicely in the lobby with the camcorder on it. I said, hmm, I guess somebody got tired. Maybe they had to move the food and they needed to move my tripod. So I walked up to it calmly. And, and then I looked at the, uh, the camcorder on the top of the tripod and I noticed, oh, it's actually not really centered very well on the, uh, on the tripod. <laughs> it's not centered the way that it was before. Not the way I put it on there. It was a little twisted. And then I looked more closely and the battery was gone. And and the there was there were pieces of broken plastic all over the camcorder. <laughs> Parts of the camcorder that used to be the camcorder were broken and sticking oh. out. <laughs> so I, and then the camcorder had this big, like, paint streak on it. Like, it had just gotten hit by a, a white Buick. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, very quickly, I realized that it had fallen off. <laughs> and probably went fa- head first. With the, and this is a really pretty big, heavy tripod. Right. And, and... Uh, Went head first and probably just smashed. And it actually, I could see where it impacted. It actually impacted on the corner of the battery in the back because the battery was actually kind of dented, even though it's really solid plastic. And then all the parts around the battery compartment were kind of smashed and bent. And like the connectors and things like that were all kind of deformed. Like the, the HDMI connector and the video port was kind of, it was metal, but it was like bent. Instead of being rectangular, it was kind of like a U shape. <laughs> so now it looks like a pretty much a fifty-seven Buick right now. 
It looks like, yeah, mm-hmm. it looks like a wreck. Like mm-hmm. it needs a tow truck. But I, un- I unscrewed it and I thought, oh, this is pretty durable. This is the camera that I dropped before on its lens and actually survived and still worked perfectly. So I thought, you know, maybe it's going to start up. So I put the battery on it. Yeah. The kind of damaged one because it wasn't super dented. And nothing happened when I tried to turn the power on. It was just dead. <laughs> and I said, oh, maybe it's the battery. You know, maybe the battery got damaged. So then I, and the thing was the latch that actually holds the battery and keeps it kind of clicks in was actually rolling around inside the camera. Oh. So, so it wasn't really. <laughs> so there might really not have been, there, there might not have been any contact with the battery in the, in the camcorder. It's possible. And I also thought maybe it just loosened the cable or something. There's little cables inside, I, I assume. So. Uh, anyway, I tried different power sources and nothing worked. So that was the end of that camcorder. Um, well, my sympathy goes out to you uh, <laughs> regarding your, your nice little workhorse uh, camcorder. Uh, when something like that happens, though, are you able to draw off the, uh, the footage off of it still? That's the thing that was bad is that I recorded a couple hours of footage, but it was on the internal memory. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if I had actually recorded on an external card, it has a card slot. Right. If I had recorded on that card slot, right. I could have actually salvaged that morning's footage, which had some value. Luckily, it's not the most important angle. and and uh, But because I can't actually turn the camcorder on to get to the internal memory, it, I can't get to that. And probably when I, if I even if I had it repaired, they probably replaced the part of it that has that memory on it because it's like soldered on the board it's not like a separate chip or anything aren't those just solid state drives though they're solid state drives but they're not uh like what we they're not um and this is just for economic reasons they're they're not like an sdhc card that's inside the unit they're actually soldered memory chips that are soldered onto the onto the pc board that's part of the unit Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you could just like remove and pop it into it like an external box that you buy at Fry's for $10 and plug it in and get it. Probably not. No. You probably have to unsolder the or pull it off the socket and you'd have to probably get another camcorder, take it apart and plug it into there. Hmm. And then probably you'd destroy that camcorder. <laughs> so you'd have two broken camcorders and then data would probably never come out. I mean... Yeah, if I wanted to spend like $10,000, I probably could find somebody that would have a compatible socket that could offload it. But there's all kinds of proprietary stuff because the camcorder has electronics to deal with that particular flash in a certain file format that it likes. It probably it probably would just be a fool's errand to try that. Right. Unfortunately, yeah. That was actually worse than losing the camera, was losing the footage. Yeah, I I would have to imagine that losing footage after, like, you know, having it set up on this table next to the hors d'oeuvres and on your fantastic tripod and stuff like that, uh, you know, and then knowing full well that that's your workhorse and that's the one that's just going to be capturing this kind of like wide angle thing, you know, okay, big deal. That's that's not the one you're you're particularly crazy about, but just the the footage that it probably took would have been pretty good i think it would have been really good mm. uh luckily it was the least important camera that's the good. least important from an angle point of view right and the thing too is i have footage from the previous day that i could just slot in and nobody would be able to tell right because it's far enough away from the performance i could get some performers that kind of look the same as oh, this day sure and i could probably cut them in and but really quickly and 
and unless you were a pixel peeper and we're doing a trivia a trivia wiki page on this particular video you probably wouldn't wouldn't care is that a real term <laughs> pixel peeper it is actually it, a term. It, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, we are getting into geekdom like you wouldn't believe then. <laughs> Pixel peeper. Oh, man. Okay. So, but I guess the thing is, I mean, this is, this episode's about lessons. Right. And, and like, yeah, you can get away with stuff most of the time, but sometimes you don't get away with stuff. And so I'd gotten away with probably putting my cameras in in risky situations. I'd gotten away with using the internal memory on these camcorders instead of a, a external card that, that I could have pulled out. Um, you know, I've gotten away with a few things, but that was just luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then in this, and I, and I really should have just, you know, that, that curtain's gonna, the wind's gonna pick up and that curtain's gonna go out two feet instead of a foot. And it's gonna, and it's gonna knock over my tripod. And I'm, I'm actually kind of lucky it didn't like fall over on somebody and hit them on the head. Maybe it did. Maybe there was like an ambulance while I was in the car. know <laughs> 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 what happened. <laughs> then you'll be served with a nice little letter in the mail. Probably. <laughs> but anyway. Well, uh, that, no. that is exciting. It was exciting. That was actually the first camcorder that I actually destroyed. That is, uh, uh, and, and you know, that's that's too bad. How long have you had the camera for? I've had it probably two and a half years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got it in spring of 2010. I really like that camcorder. The 900 is about as good as that one, mm -hmm. maybe a little better, but that one was definitely still capable of, of producing good images. Mm. So that's a little sad. Uh, but, and that's the thing that I, I find interesting is whether or not you would... Uh, you know, maybe replace it. Would you replace it with something else? Would you, you know, do you need something like that again? Um, I was know. thinking, yeah, today I thought about what would I use to, could I fix it? Because I could probably repair it for a couple hundred dollars. It might not be perfect because I don't, I think to actually get it to be in new condition would cost more than the camera's worth. Right. But to just replace the part that's broken, like the circuit board might cost a couple hundred dollars. I think the camera's worth about 400. So even though it cost like a thousand when I first got it, but, um, but then I could probably get a newer camera for about $500. In fact, I have an, a newer camera that probably is better than this one. In some ways, it's a small Canon M500. It's a lot smaller, much better low light capability. I think the image is actually maybe slightly better. Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't quite have some of the features like 60p recording, but that one's, that would probably be, I already have one, but if I wanted to get another camera to replace that one on the multi-camera shoots, I'd probably just get another M500 and that would be my, my extra little disposable camera. Would you ever buy another one used? I was looking at it, but they're still, they're not that cheap used. They're still like $400 or $500 on eBay. Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot. Mm -hmm. For a two-year-old camera that's probably been dropped several times, <laughs> like like yours was, <laughs> yes, like mine was. <laughs> so, well, if you put yours on eBay, maybe <laughs> maybe I know, you could just I could... Uh, let it go for three hundred bucks, and uh, you know they'll walk away with it. That is a great idea, Rodney. Thank you, thank you I'm very much. Do that. I'm going to do that. I only I only charge ten percent of profits for for that kind of information. <laughs> So, so the, so the learning experience was, you know, don't tempt fate too much. 
I think I might not use the internal memory on camcorders. And that's just like uh, the difference between an internal drive on your computer and maybe an external drive. Like, don't put your backup drive as your internal drive. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be a pain to put it onto another computer to use your data if you need it. Right. Say, say you had a, say you had a computer, like your iMac, for example. Right. Say you're, say you had, I don't know if your iMac can even hold it, but I think some iMacs can have another drive in them, like two drives. I don't think so, mine can. Okay. Well, let's just say th theoretically it could. Yeah. Um, and suppose you set up that second, I know you would never actually even do a backup, but theoretically, if that's you against actually what I believe. <laughs> theoretically, if you backed up your data. Um, and onto another drive internally. What if what if uh, what if your iMac went down? Right, like it just didn't boot anymore, and and it and it was just the power wouldn't even turn out. Well, that second drive which you were using for backup would not be accessible. You know, you'd have to actually open up your iMac, take it out, and put it into like a special case, and then use it from there, which is kind of a lot of trouble. Yep. So that's why it's better to have external. I think better to have external drives as a backup. So that you can just take that drive and put it on somebody else's computer and continue to access your data very easily. Well, I I do agree with that, and I do have uh, you know external drives on my on my system, and you know we'll be talking about that in uh, future uh, segments of the podcast because we we think it's something that would be you know uh, very good for everyone to learn about and to kind of experience as the art of backing up and uh and what's available to you of course i might not listen personally <laughs> but it's something that uh keith uh, really believes in and you know like he here's another thing here here's the thing that I, I just find amazing okay you've got like five cameras right mm -hmm. you're on this shoot well, four now okay right okay <laughs> let's say five cameras yeah at least originally that's what you started out with and you come back with four so uh, so you go out there potentially, let's just say for argument's sake that you have 64 gig cards in them, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're offloading them, you know, at the studio. And so now you're going to have to dedicate at least roughly 300 plus gigs just for these cards. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Five times six. Yeah. 300 gigs. Roughly. Yes. Uh, and then don't you, and this is getting into our backup session, but don't you back that up as well? Yep. I back that up actually twice. Yeah. You see, that's just insanity <laughs> to me. Insanity. Insanity. Oh my gracious. Oh my gracious. My head hurts and we just started the show. Well, uh, you know, that is a, uh, that, that's our nice little, uh, intro segment to this uh to this uh new podcast that we've got going on here today keith I, I again my sympathy goes out to you for the loss of a beloved camera but Thank i'm you, sure a, a new replacement is in order yes it's in my in it's in my cart on amazon right now <laughs> along I with might, 50 I might million other things right <laughs> <laughs> that's great okay we've got a lot more show coming up and uh we will be talking more about digital filmmaking and all this great stuff uh in just a little bit we've got more stuff coming at you so you guys just stick around and we'll be right back
All right, well, welcome back, everyone. And, uh, you know, Keith, I was just uh, wondering because, you know, with every new uh, computer that comes out, whether it be Mac or, or PC, and, you know, you've had plenty of experiences with you, you know, thinking about moving to a PC and all this kind of stuff, about uh, graphics processing units, uh, you know, the GPU mm-hmm. cards. And, um, you know... You know, everyone that comes out, there's always something, you know, newer. It has more memory. It's a little bit faster. It's a little bit uh, more bells and whistles, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, what, you know, what's the big deal about, you know, every, you know, every couple of months, there's a new one out there. What do you think? Right. Well, I think a lot of the reason for for even caring about the GPU card is that in recent times, uh, they're used a lot for for enhancing your gaming experience if you're right i do remember that back in uh, uh back in my pc building days oh it was it was incredibly important to have you know that smooth frame rate and which is what you know uh separate gpus could give you rather than the onboard right on the motherboard type of uh right graphics and games. gaming is just so popular in in the pc world especially it's just people were just are just kind of obsessed with it, and you know, most, a lot of them are kids, a lot of them are adults, but somehow they seem to have money to, to expend large portions of their disposable income on GPU cards. Uh, well, because of that, I think the GPU card manufacturers are, is kind of like a, the um, they're they're producing so many of them that the prices can can actually be pretty good on what are essentially like pretty powerful computers. I mean, it's it's like a whole computer on this small PCI card that will fit into your PC or your Mac, a Mac Pro, at least the old Mac Pros, <laughs> and we'll talk, we'll talk about that later. Right. But <laughs> yeah. that's a whole nother story. But uh, with the current crop of Mac Pros, like the one I have, which is a 2010 12 core, which is really one of the powerful, most powerful Macs you can get at this point, um, I can I can plug in a, a ATI or NVIDIA GP, GPU card into that and and realize a lot of a lot of benefits just beyond what's what that powerful CPU can do. You know, the computer itself is pretty powerful, but if you plug a really powerful GPU into it, you can enhance it that much more. So, right. uh, and and the way that I, one of the reasons I I don't I'm not, I'm not a gamer, but one of the reasons reasons that I want that powerful GPU is so that I can accelerate mostly my use of uh, Adobe Adobe products, which is like Premiere Pro really utilizes the GPU card for accelerating playback, real-time playback for editing. And um, so so for the past several years since I've switched to Premiere Pro, I've actually used NVIDIA cards. Uh, oh, you're using yeah. NVIDIA cards, what, primarily? And I'm going to guess that's because it's a compa- compatibility it is, issue. It is. There's a, there's a thing in um, that Premiere Pro supported to accelerate its its um speed and playback uh, it's a, it's a thing that they call mercury playback engine and and really all it means mm-hmm. is that in order to playback like native file formats or lots of effects stacked it can actually utilize the gpu card but it can only use a the gpu cards that support a certain type of computer interface called cuda or cuda 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 Cuda, shoulda, woulda. Thank you. I made that up. And, and strangely now. enough, that's what it stands for. But 
uh, actually, I'm going to look up, I don't even know what it stands for. I'm going to look it up and tell you what the, it stands, it's an acronym for Compute Unified Device Architecture. Knew that. <laughs> I think CUDA would, would have shooto is probably better. But uh, anyway, whatever. They decided to name it CUDA. It's really catchy. And and uh, yes. so so Premiere Pro and Adobe After Effects and some other apps. And it's not just it's not just Adobe. There's a, like Maya and and uh, DaVinci and some others use this interface. And they are able to to push programming uh, instructions to this interface and actually get things to, to be really accelerated when it comes to graphics. So uh, and and there's a couple different lines of. In the case of NVIDIA, there's a couple different lines of NVIDIA cards. There's the NVIDIA cards for the gamers. And, you know, and they're all decorated and they've got like flames painted on the <laughs> outside. You know, because they're right. kind of appealing to right, that right. market. It, it might even have an LED <laughs> on it so it glows at night. Yeah, and all this they, they seem thing. to have a lot of extra decals and things on them. And, <laughs> uh, and then there's the pro line uh, that doesn't have, that, that they look nice, but they're not... Um, you know, they're not really fancy looking. They're mostly just for professionals. Um, and those are called the Quadro cards. And, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so they're I called like Quadro. That. Honestly, I'm not sure why they call it Quadro, but they call they call them Quadro. So, now the thing... They work on water. <laughs> they work in fours, maybe. But... Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but, so the, so the gaming cards are called, are usually called GTXs. And the and the Nvidia has GTX cards of varying numbers, and I think usually the higher the number, the faster and more expensive it is. So, like a common one back in, back a few years ago was the GTX 285, which actually happened to be Mac compatible as well. And then they also have um, some newer some newer GTX cards. Like I think the newest ones are like GTX 780, 790, and then higher the number, you usually get more video RAM, which means you can actually display use larger displays or multiple displays, which helps a lot. And it just makes things faster, just like it makes your computer faster. And so you can get video RAM of two gigabytes, four gigabytes, or I think even more nowadays, maybe six gigabytes on this PCI card. Not It's not the computer, it's actually a separate card that has this RAM on it. Which is a big deal. I mean, like I remember when, you know, gaming cards came out and, you know, that, that was the whole thing, right? You're, you're to basically alleviate the processing power off the CPU and have it all built in on right, the video. Right. So, and so now we're just talking about how much more processing power right. on the video. And yeah, and they have these, they have multiple cores. So even I think the most cores you can get on a CPU is like 24 maybe without really really super high end cards with multiple uh CPU chips on them like mine has 12 and but on a GPU uh you can actually get hundreds or maybe even up to a thousand or more and those are like little computers and not mm. quite as powerful as as the CPUs in your computer but they still do some graphics things really well but there's because there's so many of them, they can it really amplifies the amount of work they can do. It's kind of like think about a bucket brigade. You know, one person can only really transfer one bucket at a time, and it's it's kind of like slow of one person's doing it. But if you have a whole bunch right. of them lined up, and you have like twenty people lined up, and then each of those people have twenty people in line, you can really multiply the amount of work you can do. So it's really simple. You're just transferring water from one place to another. But but 
Right. But it doesn't matter if it's a simple task; you can just do it much, much faster than a than a CPU. Yeah. So, so that's really the concept behind it. Of course, there's other there's a whole bunch of other complicated things that they can do. They have built-in hardware to do 3D and rendering and shading, shading for different um, gaming functions and other functions related to graphics. So, um, so I. So I, I after I, I got the GTX two eighty five initially for my Premiere Pro experience, and that's a pretty old card. And it was kind of I got it used. Um, I don't even know if they make it anymore, but it was okay. But I I kind of felt like it was a little unstable. I felt like when I was using Premiere Pro, things were kind of buggy, and I'm not sure if it was the card or just maybe the driver or just maybe it was just Premiere Pro. But um, so I heard that the Quadro four thousand card was a good card actually uh, let's, let me backtrack i got the quadro 4800 card which was the top of the line card um for the mac at that time but it was like it was like 1500 dollars or something and i tried it out and yeah. i was and i did then after i actually bought it i did some research and found out that the 285 could have been was actually faster than the 4800 yeah wow so really? i it's kind of strange hmm. because that two the gtx 285 was maybe like one fifth the price it was only like a few hundred dollars so very well i'm going to save like a thousand dollars and get faster performance i'm going to go for that <laughs> so but yeah, then when i switched right. down to the 285 it was kind of unstable i felt it was less stable than the 4800 but then they came out with another card called the 4000 the quadro 4000 and that was like as fast as the 4800 but a lot less expensive it was like 800 instead so I so I decided oh, to get that mm. one. So I got the one that, and that's actually the one I'm using now. I've got that for a call. Oh, and you're still, still using, using it, it right now. But yeah, interesting. But recently, I had this problem uh, where I would when I would start doing really complicated things like running a bunch of effects at once and multiple streams and Premiere Pro. Uh, I had this really horrible experience where the screen would just kind of blank out. I mean, it was like mm. it was like. I could tell the computers was still working, <laughs> but like the screen right. just went blank. Both my screens just went blank. Huh. And I was like, oh, great. My card's going bad. Um, and, right. and a little bit before that time, I had also noticed that my card was getting kind of noisy. Like, and, and it seemed like it kind of coincided with me getting the new Mac Pro, the, the 2010 Mac Pro as opposed to the 2008. Like when I took the the quadro mm -hmm. card out of the 2008 and put it into my 2010 it seemed like at that point the fans were running hotter running more and and more noisy more noise and i just thought maybe it was just it was a little less compatible with the new one or something and the new one made it noisier made the fans go more so i just kind of accepted that and but then this happened you know maybe like a year after or 9 months after i got the 2010 and um so it was really annoying. So I did a whole bunch of research on the internet um, on another computer where the screens actually worked. And <laughs> <laughs> and I found out that um, that's a sign of overheating. So it actually shuts down. Ooh, it basically okay. shuts down the video when it starts overheating. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, why is it overheating? You know, do I need... So I looked at the card. I opened it all up and I looked at the card and I noticed that the intake ports were just completely clogged with dust. Ooh, yeah, it's kind of weird, okay. but there the in, the intake ports on this Quadro, I mean, you can kind of see that there's these tubes going into it, and normally they're supposed to be open, and I don't really pay attention to it. You know, who looks at their card to see if it's caked with dust? 
but right. I looked at that and then I took a vacuum and vacuumed it all out and it was really dusty. It was just like maybe months and months of or years of dust had accumulated in there and just completely clogged it. So nothing, <laughs> no air was going through the card. And I did right. notice the card was kind of hot before. Like I would, when I would change RAM or just go into the computer, I'd notice it was a little hot, like really hot. <laughs> like you could fry an egg on it hot. <laughs> I just thought, well, this is nice. Just... <laughs> Almost started a fire. It could have, but I was like, wow, this is running. Yeah. I guess that's the way it is. But anyway, so I vacuumed all that all out, and guess what? It was way less noisy. And what was happening was because of the dust, the fans were just going like full blast on this quadro cart all the time, and that was causing oh, that wow. whine. Uh -huh. It was like they're just really trying to cool it right. off, even though they couldn't. And so when I removed all the dust and vacuumed it all out and got it clean, it was just run totally silent. And I never had that blackout problem again once I did that. Oh, yeah. so it really was just an overheating it was. problem. It was just the dust. It was like mm -hmm. a, it was a dust issue. So yeah. I guess, the, yeah. and, and I guess that's the point of this particular part of the talk is sometimes you have to dust your GPU. <laughs> sometimes you have to vacuum the inside of your computer out. Well, uh, you, you know, I would I would say that that's actually a really good practice, I think, for the entire interior case, if you can get yeah. into it, you know, because, uh, you know, my old PC, uh, you know, there's intake and there's, uh, you know, and there's exhaust uh -huh. fans, right? And so, you know, those, just those fans just get so clogged up, you know, just like your uh, GPU Yeah, they do. do. They do. There's just a lot of dust in this world and... and yeah, <laughs> computers are like big vacuums because the <laughs> yeah, and and you, and especially where we where we place them, right? They're usually under our desk or you know somewhere where you know where there's carpet sometimes. Or yeah, they're whatever. basically where the dust is. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've even thought exactly. about it. Maybe even putting. Uh, and I actually heard that the Mac somebody was coming out for the Mac Pro like a dust. It kind of like a dust filter you could just put all along the front <laughs> of the computer. And I looked at it, and they were charging like $50 for it. And all it was, it looked like somebody had just taken a vacuum bag and taped it onto the front of the computer. <laughs> I mean, I could do that. <laughs> well, I think that could be our next uh, uh, be. enterprise, be. shall we say. Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, we'll supply the tape and the vacuum bag. <laughs> You supply your own scissors. <laughs> anyway, so uh, nice. but just recently, and I'm not sure how this happens, but there's some something I'm always looking for fast, more and more speed out of my computer. I don't know. It's maybe it's a sickness, but <laughs> it is with you. It is. Uh, so I had just for some reason I just heard that they came out with this this new uh, card, new Quadro card called the K five thousand, which is uses new new nvidia architecture and it's compatible with the mac and everything which is which is nice it's nice they're coming out with a couple uh capable mac capable cards and so i did some research on it and so i posted something on the premier pro hardware forums uh saying how much faster is the quadro k5000 than the quadro 4000 and mm -hmm. uh and i i started this raging debate between <laughs> all these different supposed experts. <laughs> uh -huh. And some, I don't know, I have a feeling that some of these people that are so-called experts are just like, like kids in their basement that have nothing to do, you know? <laughs> oh, 
I'm, I'm sure <laughs> they're just trolling the internet for for these yeah blogs. because sometimes I find things that they say and they're exact like copy and paste from from like Nvidia's marketing material you know and they're trying to be experts <laughs> or something and then when I ask them like when I ask them a question that's like well what about this I don't get any response you know right <laughs> it's because like they had to go to school or something they're the parents the parents kicked right. them out of the basement I don't know but exactly but i got a i got a debate between all these different people like saying well you could do this card this is great why pay why pay seventeen hundred dollars for the quadro card when you can get a a gaming card for one third of the price and then somebody else is saying yeah but you'll Mm -hmm. blow up your mac if you do that it can't supply the power and so this all these people are arguing with each other about it and i was just i just wanted the question is is it going to be faster than my quadro i don't care about your gaming cards and if they're (laughs) powerful or going to blow up my Mac? Just answer the question. But never got the question answered, unfortunately. (laughs) That's so great. Uh, That's so great. It's so funny. (laughs) And that's why, you know, you have to be very careful about where, you know, what kind of answers you're expecting back. And I think the rule of thumb uh, keep your expectations extremely <laughs> low. Yeah, I guess I have. I, I guess I got I got a little bit of information, which was basically probably the gaming cards would be faster and way less money. But mm-hmm. I'm, if I wanted to be safe, I would have to add some some uh, an external power supply to augment the Mac Pro's power supply. Because oh, the, oh, there's not. Yeah, it's juice, actually amazing uh, uh, how much sucks up a lot of yeah power, so the maximum amount of power you can get out of the mac pro is is like 225 watts or something uh, out of if, if you have the card plugged into the pci bus plus you have both of the graphics cards ports there's a couple of power ports on the mac pro for that uh right now i'm just using one of them because my card only needs one but some cards require both ports and each of those is 75 watts so that's 150 and then and then the PCI right. bus, which is plugged into, is another 75. So that's 225. And some of these cards can draw like 300 watts. Uh, yeah, I, they, they do suck yeah. up a lot of power. That's a lot of power. 300, yeah. That's 300 watts. It like is. A lot. Yeah, I guess maybe not all the time, but potentially it maxed out at 300. So that's a lot. So the safe thing is to get this external power. It's a, something you could put into one of your drive bays. And then it's a power mm-hmm. supply. And then I guess you lead the lead it to some external source outside the computer. I've I've not seen that. That 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 must be pretty interesting. I'm kind of wondering if it's worth all the trouble. You know. Yeah. L- l- like right, I was just right, saying. Right. Like I asked the question. So okay, I get it that maybe the gaming cards are a better deal. But what if I don't want to go through all that work and I feel like spending an extra seven hundred dollars or something on this K five thousand, which is a quadro card, which is meant for the Mac and it's designed for this. I'm not jury rigging anything. Mm-hmm. It's not going to overload my computer. And I never really got a straight answer about it. Like nobody just said, well, if you want to spend the money, then just get the quadro because it's actually designed for this and it's not going to break your computer. And it's a really professional card and it's certified. And, you know, I never got that answer from anybody. I just got, I just got like, <laughs> you know, why you can run call of duty <laughs> on it. Yeah. So it was a little annoying. Maybe I'll just ask it again. Sure. Or ask it on a different forum. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, I'm a little concerned about, like, how long are these cards going to be made? And and the reason for that is the new Mac Pro that's going to come out this year, supposedly, 
doesn't even use PCI. It has PCI internally, but it right. doesn't have any slots that you can add PCI cards to. Correct. They're 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 making their new Mac Pro very much the way uh, that they're uh, doing their uh, their iMacs. Yeah, where it's going to be pretty tough to open it up, and it's going to be a lot of trouble, and you know, and all this kind of thing. Yeah, and and from what I can see, just looking at the internals of the Mac, the the graphics cards are ATI cards, mm -hmm. and they're uh, I think they're soldered in, and I think they're not even the normal size of PCI cards. Are they it's probably not, like custom made or something like that just for Mac Pros? That's that's what I suspect. I don't have a definitive answer, mm -hmm. but I mean the thing itself. <laughs> you know what? Is, they probably don't either. <laughs> maybe they don't. Maybe it's a mock-up. Right, not but, yet. But no, I think they actually had it running something, so there might be real. But 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 like even like one of those GTX cards, it's like bigger than it's longer than the Mac Pro is now. You know. I mean, it's like a foot. It's like a foot long. The yeah. GTX cards and the mm -hmm. Mac Pro is only nine inches high. So, you know, I, I think it would look kind of weird if you you had this really beautiful Mac Pro and then you had this this edge of the GTX card sticking up three inches. Yeah. With its flames, decals. You know, the flame gaming <laughs> right. decals. That would look a little weird. That would mess up the aesthetics. I don't think would. Apple would approve of that. It would. <laughs> so I don't think. Yeah. Even if it could fit, I don't think Apple would allow it. But <laughs> well, you know, I mean, in reality, you know, with the pictures that they've already put out about Mac Pro, uh, the new one, you know, once you get like all nine million ports filled out in the back, it's gonna look like it's gonna look like <laughs> the ugliest garden hose uh, winder that has ever existed. <laughs> so. yep. You'll have to get another, like a Mac Pro aesthetic cover yeah. that's like a little bit bigger. It still looks like a trash can, but it's bigger, and then it just fits over all the cables. I, I think it'll look great as long as you don't plug a single thing into it. Yeah. It's going to be so But funny. you can grab it and go. It's really portable. Yeah. <laughs> Unplug a million cables it, and then go. It, it, it is. That, that, that it certainly is. I mean, you, you, like you said, you can put in a protective garbage can and you'll, it's, you, know, you don't have to spend money on a you know, fancy case or anything. Just put in a garbage can. It's fine. Yeah. So I'm, that's why I'm kind of looking for, for the, the best graphics card now because I'm not sure how long they're going to make them because well, it's not a huge market. Well, you know, you know these, you know these breakout boxes, right? I mean, do you, do you put a lot of stock in them? Do you think that they can really deliver some great performance for you? The idea is great. The problem is, is that Thunderbolt isn't as fast as PCI. It's it's based on PCI, which is the internal bus of the computer. Yeah. But it its actual speed is, I think, I think maximum is maybe four times a four x. PCI. Uh, it's like it's like the equivalent of a 4X or a 2X PCI slot. And those are the slower slots inside your computer. Like you'd never plug your graphics card into the 2X or the 4X slot. You'd always plug it into the 16 or the 32 PCI slot. So, and that's just basically the speed that the slot can, can work at. Because graphics is very uh, data intensive. There's a mm -hmm. lot of data going in between your computer and the card. Mm -hmm. And that's why it needs that fast slot. Um, so it would, if you used a breakout box and, and let me just, maybe for the people don't even know what that is, yeah. a break, a breakout box is basically a way of connecting something to your computer, having it running through a cord or a cable, and then it going to a, uh, essentially a box that has a bunch of slots, empty slots in it. Um, and your, 
essentially instead of having the cards inside your computer like maybe you filled up your computer completely with with cards and you can't fit anymore like for the mac you can only fit four cards in and sometimes people need need more than four cards so they actually sell these cards that go into a pci slot and then they have a cable coming out like it's a multi-cable like a snake and then that's going into a chassis that has a bunch of other slots in them because pci can take many many more than four slots I'm not sure what the limit is, but it's a lot. And so you could put in extra GPU cards for like rendering tasks, like if you're doing color correction or 3D rendering or anything that requires rendering. Some of these apps can actually use more than one card, GPU card to do rendering. So that's the purpose. Nowadays you do it with PCI breakout, but in the new Mac Pro, the 2013 Mac Pro, when it comes out, you're going to have to, if you want to use any kind of external PCI cards, you're going to have to get a Thunderbolt breakout box. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. gonna plug a Thunderbolt cable into your Mac, maybe one or two. Maybe the breakout box could somehow gang two together to get more speed. Coming out out of your Mac, into this, and then this this box would have a Thunderbolt interface, and then inside that would be a bunch of slots where you could put your old PCI cards in or new ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. The problem is is that throughput of data between the breakout box and the computer is only like two x or four x of PCI. It's not that fast. Doesn't sound that fast. Yeah, I mean, compared to sixteen or thirty-two, it's like yeah. a quarter, a quarter of the speed. Yeah, at best. So I'm not sure if the breakout boxes is necessarily the solution at this point. Yeah, for people that need more, you know, more power. And you know, honestly, I think Apple has thought about this. I think they thought, well, you know what? How many, how many real customers are we're going to have that need breakout boxes? Mm-hmm. And there's probably like like a thousand, you know, the people that really would have the need for a breakout box on a Mac. And so a thousand versus millions of other customers that really don't need it, they're just going to, you know, let's just make it simple. Yeah. But at the, you know, but at the same time though, when they, you know, the, the whole thing about bringing out a new Mac pro was to answer the call of the professionals. Right. right. Uh, and, right. and so, you know, if, if you go along that line of saying, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to, you know, who, how many of them are really going to do, then why even bring out the Mac Pro? They, you know, anyone could have just gotten a, you know, uh, uh, you know, a laptop or, or an iMac or something like that. Uh, you know, they, I think they should, you know, uh, hopefully be thinking about, you know, that greater power. Yeah, I think they should. And maybe it's something that this is going to be the first, first iteration of this, of this t- device yeah. and i think they're just going to come out with it and see see its adoption yeah um th- a lot of things that you currently need a breakout box for you can also are starting to be able to do with thunderbolt devices so in the past you you, you needed a pci slot to do like video output um yeah. there's aja and blackmagic have pci cards you can put in your mac pro and they do things like output for video monitors and sdi and HDMI and stuff like that to to make that possible interfaces to various devices. Um, well, they also have Thunderbolt versions of those things. So instead of having this PCI card with a bunch of ports in the back, you just plug your Thunderbolt cable, and you can do this with your Mac MacBook Pro or whatever too. And then you have a nice box that has all the AV interfaces and things like that on it. So you, it, they're kind of tr- I think they're trying to push that transition to this external thing and then they're trying to keep the mac pro small and light and maybe less expensive yeah and then 
for the people that really need that functionality, buy a Thunderbolt device to add that functionality. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I can kind of see that. They, they've kind of done this before. They've tried to shift people in a certain direction before, and it, and it's semi-worked, you know? Yeah. So so maybe they're, they're hoping that that's just going to push the Thunderbolt um, interface further because there's not going to be any choice. It's mm -hmm. kind of like how they pushed USB. Remember, before the USB didn't really exist before the, it wasn't really popularized before uh, one of the Mac G5s, right, came out, and then they just decided they were going to take take away the old ports and just put USB ports, and everybody was really was nuts about that, right, because people lost some capability. But eventually, it made USB really popular. Yeah, and they were the first. So I think they're kind of trying to do the same thing with Thunderbolt. You know, not that it's a good decision. Yeah, but I could see their logic. Well, it's Tools. their you know it's their technology, right? So they're they're going to push that as far as they can. Yeah, I so. think so. Anyway, yeah. so I'm I'm still I still have the question out whether you know to maybe get a faster card or just I'm, I'm pretty happy with the speed I have now with Premier Pro CC and what I have. So I don't. I, I you know and uh, I I guess. You know, we'll wait to see what happens and and what the reviews are when uh, that that new Mac Pro comes out. Yeah, I'll still get it, but <laughs> <laughs> of course you will. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. Well, well, that's exciting. So remember, uh, folks, we've we what we've learned today. We've learned to uh, uh, take out all the dust that accumulates uh, in that firebox that you call a, 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 a computer. Uh, and you've also learned, I think people have learned to, to go to their website and, and buy the new Tech Move front cover filter. <laughs> that's right. That would be really nothing. Just scratch off the, the name that says Hefty Garbage Sack. <laughs> just scratch that off. and uh, Actually, we've blacked that off ourselves. Yeah, we just take we some might do that, but that, But that yeah. might cost too much money on our part. <laughs> So we don't want to, <laughs> we'll, we'll make the listeners do that. Uh, okay, look, uh, fantastic. So yeah, so clean out that uh, that GPU card, clean out the, uh, the, the, the box itself uh, in case your, uh, your, your box in another glass box so it will uh, not be uh, touched by anything uh, foreign <laughs> and uh, you will be a happy little customer. We also um, learned what CUDA what CUDA is. Do you remember? No, I, I, I actually all, all I know is my terrific line of CUDA shooda wooda, and that's the I've been that's what dying. it is. I think yes, I don't remember the other one. <laughs> From our rehearsal meeting of of this segment, all I could think about is, when am I going to use that line? Okay, all right, enough of this. All right, so uh, still we're eagerly awaiting the new Mac Pro. Uh, so that we can tear it apart in, <laughs> in our grand expectation. But uh, nonetheless, uh, thank you, Keith. Uh, we will uh, we will come back with more uh, with more silliness right here on Tech Move. got another great story that uh, Keith wants to share with us. And, you know, folks, this is actually points back to something we talked about earlier on in one of our uh, early episodes, uh, and it's about backup. And I think Keith 
had a near disaster. Is that correct, Keith? I had a near disaster, and I'm still, I'm still recovering from You're it. You're reeling from it. I'm reeling from it. Well, yeah, I'm reeling in a psychological sense, but I'm also recovering in a physical data sense, too. <laughs> uh, uh, from, from what we talked about briefly, it sounds like it was just terrible. Yeah, it was actually one of the scariest moments of my life. So, seriously, it was. I mean, I had a physical response Uh-oh. to it. Okay, let's go. So, and this happened earlier in the week. Uh, it happened, actually it happened about a week ago. Okay. Basically, I did my, my normal routine. I have several online drives. And uh, a lot of them are about uh, six terabytes. And then... There's one that's a, that's a larger one that's 11 terabytes. It actually has four four terabyte drives in it. So these are like uh, uh, NAS boxes of some sort? Um, they're actually, uh, I don't use NAS because their NAS just isn't fast enough for me okay. for the online video editing. Um, they actually just are direct connected uh, eSATA boxes to my Mac Pro. Okay. And um, they're actually OWC enclosures, and each of them holds four drives. And... Uh, and then it's set up as a RAID 5 configuration in there. So there's a certain amount of redund- data redundancy in RAID 5 where if one of the drives goes out, there's enough data on the other drives to reconstruct that one drive. And so it's kind of cool. I've actually, that's actually happened to me a couple of times where one of the drives went out because drives go bad. Um, one of the drives goes out, you, you pull out the bad drive, you put in the new drive, and the system copies all the redundant data back onto that new drive. So it's actually pretty cool. So you can survive a, a failure of one drive and still keep working. Anyway, one day I woke up, did my stuff. I said, I'm going to copy this. I had something on this fa- really much faster drive. It's an SSD drive. And I said, I'm going to, I need some, some more space on that SSD drive. Um, so I'm going to take that project and put it onto my 11 terabyte drive, which I have a lot of extra space on. And, uh, and I noticed, wait a second, there's usually like 50 folders on this, on this, uh, 11 terabyte drive, and now there's like three. Uh-oh. <laughs> I said, what is going on? And I said, did somehow it get moved, all the stuff get moved into one folder? Because that sometimes happens, you know, by accident, you'll drag something into another folder. Yep. It'll just put it farther down in the directory structure. Correct. No, it was, I actually did a get info on the drive, and the drive had way more free space than it should Like have. almost the 11 terabytes worth. <laughs> it had... It it was actually missing seven terabytes of Whoa. data. There were seven there were seven terabytes of data free, more free on that drive than there should have oh been. My. And uh, and I just my heart started racing because I actually have a lot of projects that are, that are ongoing on this drive. That I have the the it's really just the video sources for all these projects, and uh, and I was like, what am I gonna you know where did this data go? Do I have a backup? Uh, is do I have that much of a backup of all the stuff? It's a lot of data. You know, how recent is the backup that I have? So I pretty much determined that this drive, the data was not on there. It's as if somebody dragged those folders to the trash and emptied the trash. Oof. Which is pretty deleted when you do that. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the data, you, I think you have to go through some pretty heavy-duty data recovery if... Uh... There is, and, I, and you know, I have all the different data recovery programs, because this happens 
in various ways a lot. It, it happens a lot with SDHC cards and, and other, you know, not, not a whole drive usually. So it's, it, it, even though it's time-consuming process, it's not terabytes of data. It's maybe gigabytes of data. But in this case, this and I, I actually did run a recovery program on that drive, and the data was still there, but the directory structure wasn't there. Mm. So, and before I started messing with the drive more, and this is one of the rules about drive recovery, when something bad happens to your drive like this, you really don't want to mess with your drive too much until you back up as much as you can and know you have a backup mm -hmm. of it. Right. So, uh, so you really, you really don't even want to run a recovery program on it because sometimes if the recovery program reveals some problems in it, it might try to fix it. It might write information back to the drive and wind up erasing more data. So you really want to try to get that drive offline so it's not even connected to your computer and it's just off, like the power's off, until you have a chance to go through and see if your data is backed up somewhere else. And then you want to try to restore it from wherever it's backed onto, onto another system. You never really want to touch that original drive. Um, and the, which means you have to have extra drives with extra space on them to do all this recovery because you don't want to be recover, recover back to that drive while it's still in the state. Now, fortunately, I'm really anal about backups and I, and I invented a pretty, pretty good regular periodic backup system that backs up all these online drives to another set of drives overnight. So anything that's added or changed on those drives is actually always backed up overnight. Now, the problem is, is if you delete something, it also backs up the deletion. Uh-huh. Right. So it makes a snapshot of what the drive looks like now. Yes. And it's not this incremental backup where it saves the old stuff. Um, like Time Machine is an incremental backup where even if you delete a file, if you go back into the past with Apple's Time Machine, you can find this old file. Well, those, the backup is not done that way. However, as a, as a safety measure in this backup system... And the software I use is this wonderful software, which I really recommend, called Chronosync. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very excellent way of mirroring drives, duplicating drives, and it has all these different scenarios of, of how you want to back up one drive to another, or mirror them, or synchronize them. So basically, I have my online drives essentially mirrored to these offline drives, but any deletions that, the, that are found on the online drive, it actually just moves those to a folder on the backup drive called archived items. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So then I have a chance to review it before I really delete oh, it. Oh, that's great. So luckily, all that stuff that the backup system knew was deleted on the online drive oh. was just moved from one from the original folders to another folder called archived items. And all seven terabytes of data was in that folder. It, I, I'm surprised it, that that uh, archive folder can actually hold that much information. You know, the thing about directories um, and just in general is it really just pointers. So it's not actually moving the data around uh, physically. Mm -hmm. It's just saying, I'm just going instead to, of, instead of having the data in this folder, I'm going to move all this into another folder. And so it's really, it's actually a small amount of data that's created. Like it just creates just, a different path or something like that? Th that's right. And if you can actually do this yourself on your Mac, if you, you can actually move file as long as it's on the same drive you can actually move folders and files around into each other out of each other it doesn't take any time mm -hmm. at all it's not actually copying the data it's just changing the that's actually true I, I i've done that in my own drive so yeah yeah and that's why it can happen pretty quickly because these drobos right. are really slow mm. these drobos are like the slowest drives on mm -hmm. earth 
they're old. They're the second generation Drobos, and they're pretty old. I I mean, I've had them for years. Right. Um, I have four of them, one for each of the online drives, and they're they're the same capacity. So there there's very little chance of, you know. Although in this case of this archive backup, if I don't delete the archive data, then they'll start getting too full. Okay. Um, as things are deleted or or whatever. So, luckily, and I checked, and the directory structure was there on this archived area. And so now I'm going through this process of very carefully backing up what's on the Drobo to another fast OWC RAID 5 drive uh, so that I can have an intact online drive that's what I lost. And then I'll have all that data back pretty much exactly as I had it initially. Wow. Uh, so, but that process takes a long time. I mean, it literally took to copy from the Drobo, because it's only going about 30 or 40 megabytes a second. It's really slow for a, a drive. Um, it, it's take, it takes literally days. It, it's, it, takes like, it took like a week to actually transfer all this data. Well, seven terabytes, yeah. Yeah. So, and if, if you're, I was using a faster interface with a really fast drive, like if I was going ESAT at ESAT on one of these, these OWC raids, mm -hmm. it would have probably taken a day. Yeah. It's 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 like two hundred or three hundred megabytes per second as opposed to thirty. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot faster. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's the one thing that's wrong about these particular Drobos is they're pretty slow. Just Drobo in general is pretty slow. Even the the current Drobos that are out there, like the new Thunderbolt. Mm -hmm. Actually, the Thunderbolt Drobos I hear are pretty fast, but all the other ones, even if they're eSATA or or the um, USB three, they're actually not that fast. Mm -hmm. But anyway. So that's my that's my story. I mean, it's not completely done, but I'm pretty confident that I can get back to where I was. Well, I mean, you must be just uh, relieved to death that at least uh, that uh, that material that's there it just was not lost forever. I was relieved to death, and the thing is, is that sometimes even you're you know like an expert like me, and you know what you're doing with computers. Right. Sometimes, pardon the expression, but s happens. You're right, right, and and you just have no control. I have no idea why that, how this happened. Right. Honestly, I do not know. I think, you know, I, I try to think back of what I was doing at the time. During, and I even looked through logs mm -hmm. of all the different computers and drives that, that uh, were in effect at the time. Yeah. I think I, I kind of narrowed it down to a certain, it's like three-hour period where this might have happened. But there's really no record of what went on. Like, there was no delete all these files. I think it was just some kind of directory glitch. Wow. Um, and it may have been related to, I was copying from a network, I was moving stuff from a network drive onto this drive through HFS at the same time. And then a little bit later, I did a upgrade to another uh, SSD a home drive, startup startup mm -hmm. disk. And, uh, maybe, and I was using this thing called Apple Migration Assistant. Maybe... Maybe that had something to do with it all, but I really honestly don't know. It's still a mystery to me, and I'm not sure if I'll ever know how that happened. Yeah. Um, and that's why backup, and I guess this is the lesson from this, this little story, is no matter how smart you are or how much you know about computers, you still need to back up. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. You know, you just, don't, you, can't, you just can't ignore it. You can't say, oh, it's, it's not going to happen to me. Yeah, and that and that's why I'm I'm actually going to be starting my own backups uh, process uh, with my computer uh, very shortly here myself. So, oh yeah, which is uh, well, you know, I have a um, uh, uh, Synology 
uh, NAS box. And uh-huh. it is a uh, four bay NAS box that I only have two bays filled right now. And I've got a two terabyte and I uh, have a four terabyte drive in it right now. And I have not uh, started backups yet because I, 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 uh, the, the, the drives are fairly new and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. uh, I want to set them up just right. But, uh, you know, I think I'm going to use time machine, you know, something simple like time machine and just uh, use that. Because a, a friend of mine told me that he had a problem with a uh, uh, when he went to um, uh, uh, do something with his Mac. And if it wasn't for the time machine backup, he would have lost all kinds of junk. I mean, you know, things some things were, you know, replaceable and stuff like that. But it just the hassle involved just makes it so much better. Yeah. Yeah, and and the thing that the thing that's so great about a backup system like Time Machine is that if you do somehow, if something happens, you delete files by mistake. Yeah. You can go back into the past and recover. Right, them. and that's what makes it. That's in a way pretty invaluable because you make mistakes. Sometimes you just drag stuff to the trash and you're not thinking. You empty the trash and yeah, poof, it's gone. Right. It's gone forever. It could be something super valuable right. to you. And, you know, that's the thing about our age where there's physical, it's almost like electronic bits storage are almost just as valuable, sometimes more valuable than physical things yeah. now. Um, we live almost in a virtual world where virtual things have just as much value as physical things. Right. And yet virtual things can be easily destroyed yeah. <laughs> and gone forever. Like they never existed right. with no trace, you know? vapor yeah. yeah and so that's why and then and, and as as our society and world becomes more and more like that the archiving data becomes a really big part of our lives yeah. um and it's something that you don't think about until you need it yeah i know it doesn't seem that important until you and, need and, it and then it becomes mo- the most important thing ever and, 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 and that's where that's where kind of i'm at right now you know it's uh uh you know i i've never really needed to back up anything before and uh you know i have backups here and there on you know just on old hard drives and stuff but i think now with you know all this great video that i've collected and and shot and stuff like that you you really want to have that stored somewhere safe because you know these hard drives aren't meant to last forever no, they're not. And and also people make mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a combination of all factors. Yeah, and especially uh you know when you know people you know touch the computer and stuff like that, you don't know what's going to happen. So um That's right. So, yeah. Well, hey, uh, lesson learned. Uh hey Keith, <laughs> uh, I I think what we'll do is that we will put in our show notes uh, hopefully the, the link to the episode where we talked about backups at, at nauseum, but, uh, look folks, food for thought, backup, 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 right, Keith. Right. All right. <laughs> well, uh, good. I'm, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out, you know, how it went overall once the, uh, uh, you know, one week, uh, uh, backup process for you is finished and, uh, We'll find out how uh, how it ultimately went and whether or not you learned anything else new on that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great, great. Well, hey, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with another exciting segment right here on Tech Move.
Keith, I know that it's been uh, probably at least a good couple of weeks since we last left you with the recovery portion of your disaster. Uh, you got any updates? Yeah, I do have some updates. Well, I just want to let everybody know that I'm I'm back up and running, but it took a long time. Did it? it yeah, it took a long time because I just really wanted to make sure that that data was was fully backed up and safe and available in a couple places before I even started to use it again. So, um, so what I basically did was I recovered the data back onto another QX2, uh, which is basically four drives that are in a RAID 5 configuration. And then I put that into my, the bad QX2, the one with that had the, the drives that somehow data got deleted and, and everything was fine. I was able to start working on projects again, uh, based on all that data that was, that was lost. And so that part was good. But the problem was, is that just working with the Drobos, it really took a long time to uh, to actually restore the data. It took it took like a week. And during that week, I really didn't want to touch any of the good data and start using it because I just didn't want to mess with it and have the possibility, even though it was small, of perhaps losing that because that was my only copy. Right. So I just decided that I'm going to have to have another fast uh, backup of all my online drives so that if one of the drives goes down or the data is somehow deleted like it was, I'm going to be able to just quickly work with the data and not have to do this long restoring process. Now, when you, uh, you know, it, it took the better part of a week to, to get the data restored and everything like that. Is right. that correct? Seven terabytes. Uh-huh. Wow. So uh, uh, were, were you just daily staring at the progress screen, uh, uh, you know, seeing where it was at, you know, waiting for some sort of fatal error to come up? I mean, I mean, like, you know, day day four, you got to be kind of nervous about this. Well, luckily, the restoring software that I was using was, and I keep talking about it, and maybe we should get them as a sponsor or something, because I talk about it all the time. It's called Chronosync. Okay. And, uh, and it actually has some progress. It tells you how much data has been copied and, and what it, how many hours it thinks is remaining or how many days it think, thinks it's remaining to restore the rest of the data. So that was giving me some pretty good feedback. So it was pretty accurate too. Like it be, you know, pretty much told me that it would take like six days. And at the fourth day, it told me it was going to take two more days, you know, so it was pretty accurate. So once in a while, and what I did actually was I have another, so I have my old Mac Pro and actually did all that restoration and and everything on another computer. So it didn't, it wasn't using my main computer and taking up space and me having to worry about it. So once in a while, I would just go to that computer, turn it on and check the screen and see how, how it was going. (laughs) Like every, every day. Right. That's what that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm and thinking. Then, You're staring at day, thing like getting like a box of popcorn and just watching <laughs> that that status screen go. Right. I should have done a time lapse. Yeah. Of it. Made a movie out of it. Right. Still been ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so it's it's working out okay. I'm I'm using that data. Um, I still have to do a little bit of work on that on the fast, uh, mirrored backup drive that I'm going to create. And I bought a bunch more QX2 enclosures, a bunch more hard drives. It cost a lot doing this, but what it's going to do is that if it ever happens in the future, I'm not going to have so much downtime. Right. Luckily, I was in a period where I could kind of afford not to produce something right away, but it was starting to start to press on some of the projects I was working on, some of the clients that I promised work to. Right. When you're a professional, you just have to figure out a way to how to get back up and running as quickly as possible. Yeah. And it's yeah. just something that people need to. To, to, and the more data you have, like the longer you've been 
in, in business or whatever, you just accumulate more and more data. And you have to figure out a way to either archive the old stuff so it's it's not uh, taking space on your online drives or just get more online drives, but then you have to also mirror this with this other fast infrastructure. Right. So there's just a lot of planning involved. And, and I think in this new age, you know, this digital age, data is just more and more important and backing it up and, and then also being able to recover quickly from that backup yeah. is even more and more important. So we're just entering this time. Maybe, maybe in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a new revolution in storage or something and everything will, but for now we're still using spinning drives to store large amounts of data and it just takes time. Things just don't happen that quickly. So anyway, so that's my update there, but overall it's a, it's a happy story. Happy ending. I think that's great. No, I, I mean, like, look, the bottom line is, is this, you have access to all your stuff, it's all working, and you're, you're back in business again. That's the main thing. Uh, yep. You know, I, I think what people are always going to try to figure out is how will they get there a little bit quicker. That, yep. that's, that's the thing. I mean, yep. you, you know, you were able to recover. Hey, that's a big deal. So that's good. That's yep. good for you. Yep. Well, congratulations. Yeah. And then uh, just another follow-up on one of the segments, the uh, GPU segment. I talked quite a bit about CUDA. Yes. And we we kind of made fun of it. CUDA, WUDA, SHUDA. But, um, <laughs> Which I've patented. Yeah. And yeah. I talked a lot about that. I forgot to talk about another kind of some, something similar to CUDA, which is called OpenCL. I have seen that uh, as, far, as far as like specifications go and stuff like that. Don't really understand it, though. Yeah. Well, OpenCL is, is being promoted a lot by Apple, and it actually is supported in pretty much every graphical card. So even on those NVIDIA cards that support CUDA, they also support OpenCL. But NVIDIA decided, and I, I'm not sure exactly what the, the politics and the history were, but they decided to, go, to really go for the CUDA stuff, and, and Adobe decided to support the CUDA stuff early on. And so a lot of that that acceleration in Premiere Pro and other Adobe apps was only CUDA capable. But since the Macs and Apple are, are pretty much OpenCL and, and not CUDA based, um, you know, like a lot of the um, laptops and things that have built-in graphics cards that you can't change, um, a lot of them actually have ATI cards in them hmm. or, or AMD, ATI, it's the same company. And, and so they don't support CUDA at all. So Adobe started changing its interface, or at least adding another interface to support OpenCL, which is what ATI cards use. So I, I just wanted to mention that uh, Premiere Pro CC does support OpenCL. So you can get the, that acceleration, even if you have a Mac that has an ATI card that has OpenCL on it, you'll still get some acceleration on it. I don't know if it's quite as advanced as the CUDA acceleration, because that's a little bit more mature mm -hmm. with, with Adobe, but there's apparently some marketing material out that it works really well but that's also put out by ATI so you never know <laughs> but right. uh but anyway I just wanted to kind of let people know that even if they have a a Mac that doesn't have an Nvidia card in it that they could also possibly get that acceleration and have a pretty good experience cool yeah. excellent excellent that's very good well yeah. uh I think that's uh, going to wrap up uh, our uh Number ten episode uh for for this particular session. What do you think? I think we've wrapped our number ten episode. It's quite a milestone. Uh congratulations again, Keith, for uh putting together another fantastic episode here. And uh 
Thank you. Uh, we, Thanks, Rod. We, we, thank you. We, oh, we've had a ball just doing it. We we have such a good time, and we want to thank uh, each and every one of you for listening. And um, you know, again, we want to go over how you can contact us. Remember that you can always contact us through our website, which is www.techmovepodcast.com. You can reach us via iTunes and uh, punch in the word Tech Move, and you will find us there. Please subscribe to us. We like being subscribed to. Uh, where else? How about Facebook, Keith? What do you think of that? Yeah, go to Facebook. We actually have updates on Facebook. We talk about the episodes. We have occasionally pictures and contests. We still need to get a winner for the last contest, which is the newer tech USB power outlet. So go to Facebook and find out how to win that. Uh, I think they can also find that as well uh, on our website too, which will probably just which will probably just point them to to the Facebook page anyway. Yep. Yep. Right? Both both Facebook and our website, techmovepodcast.com, point to each other. We also encourage you to hit us up on Twitter. And uh, you can reach us at techmovepodcast. That's on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, where else? Where else do you reach us? Uh, just go to the internet. <laughs> uh, Stitcher is another great place. <laughs> Stitcher, <laughs> Stitcher. Yes. That's that's another great place. So that's right. Stitcher, Stitcher. Yeah, that, that that that's that's the mobile thing that uh, that you can listen to us uh, on your mobile device. It works really well. Uh, I, I I I've been using it and um and uh, we sound quite good actually. Yeah, what's kind of interesting about Stitcher is I believe that they they take our feed and and reencode it in their own format. Hmm. But it still sounds pretty good, even though they've encoded it once more. And and there and it's probably highly compressed too. Yeah, I think it's more compressed than yeah. what we're providing. Yeah, but it sounds good though. Yeah, it does no, sound pretty good. It sounds really good. I think maybe we want to talk a little bit about what's happening in the next episode. Well, I don't even know what's happening in the next episode. <laughs> so what, what the heck we got going? I think we're going to talk about a couple things more more related to cinematography. No, I like that. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about how to how to actually add camera shake to to footage that's too steady. Oh, I love that subject. We, you and I have talked about that uh, off air, and uh, th- that's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Virgin America videos that I produced. Yes. And and you watched them, and you had some comments, and I responded, and there's a kind of a lot of interesting back and forth about about the decisions that, that I made and so forth. I think we like to call that creative licensing. <laughs> So yes, yes, we we will talk about Keith's directorial uh, decision making that he made for uh, uh, for these videos. So yep, yep. So yep. and there's probably going to be some more stuff too. Oh but yeah. This is going to be a little bit less like computer tech, which were the last couple episodes, and a little bit more cinematography focused. That might be good. That might be good. I mean, you know that that is uh, one of our primary focuses, and we got a lot to talk about. Then there's a lot of new things out there, so uh, we we should touch base on that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, join us, folks, for uh, episode 11 as we talk about uh, probably a little bit more uh, digital filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, other than that, Keith, thanks so much for, uh, for being with us here. You're, you're welcome, Rod. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much again for listening to us. And uh, we will see you again on episode 11 of Tech Move. See you later. 